We started um, a series, a new series on the book of 1 Timothy, which is a letter from Paul to Timothy, who is based in Ephesus. And uh, we started off looking at the first few verses, or the first chapter, where, um, and reminded of the fact that actually the truth of God's word is what rules supreme. And we are subject to the truth of the word of God, not the other way around. And then also just reminded of the fact that each one of us is saved by grace. And it's a miracle that any of us are saved and how we to reach those around us, but also uh, that how we view, the attitude we have towards others is based on the fact that we remember that God saved you and I, that, um, uh, and so we should reach out to others with love and compassion. So this morning we're going to carry on uh, to the uh, second chapter, but I'm, I'm not going to do a huge amount because there's a section that we're going to look at next week which kind of needs a whole week. But if, you, if, if I'm not mistaken, if things haven't changed much since I was a bit younger, um, two of the probably the most contentious things that would cause an argument or discussion or heated debate, whichever way you want to look at it, among anybody is if you bring up the topic of religion or politics. Not right? Religion and politics, one of those two contentious issues that challenge people's thinking, cause issues among friends, and probably also cause rifts in families. But Scripture is quite clear on both those things. Religion, we know. Scripture, our understanding of God and our relationship with Him. But this morning, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, and Paul uh, is writing to Timothy, and I just want to give you an outline of, uh, we spoke yesterday, last time, not yesterday, it seemed like yesterday, we spoke last time about some of the context, but before we look at this, Paul doesn't, and he could have spoken about the politics of the, of the day uh, and the issues that they were facing, because politics has always been around, and actually the Romans were pretty good at that causing all sorts of issues. But Nero was uh, the emperor who was ruling in um, uh, the Roman Empire at the time. And he wasn't a good guy. He was actually quite horrible. He was violent. But you also got to remember that uh, the emperors considered themselves to be gods. And they also considered themselves to be uh, some kind of bridge between the gods and humanity. That's how they saw themselves, which is pretty much probably why they behaved like they did. But this morning, we're going to look and we're going to see Paul doesn't address the political situation of the country. And I'm not, I, I, I know in some nations, some people who live on the other side of the ocean, church and politics are kind of seem to be very much linked, which I think is very unhelpful because we call to preach the gospel, not to do politics. And so this morning isn't a political preach because I don't think I'd ever do that. And don't, if you think you want to find out, and I have been asked before, which way we vote, it's, you're wasting your time, I'll never tell you, I don't even tell my children. But when church and politics mix like that, there's a mess. I'm not saying that we don't need Christian politicians, we do. But when we look at these things, what is our role? And what is our responsibility in the land we live in? I think when Jesus spoke about all sorts of things and when he was questioned about taxes, he said, give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And where did, did Jesus do political speeches? It's not a trick question. I don't know anywhere that he did because he was on the father's business. And I think Christians in politics are helpful and we have the Christian Institute and all sorts of stuff. But actually, let's remain focused on what God has for us. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're only going to read seven verses because the others and the next section requires an entire week, probably an entire month, but we won't do that. 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all of those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Paul says there, I urge you then that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. We need to be reminded of the power of prayer. When we pray, it's not us just wishfully thinking something will happen. It's not us just speaking out into nothing and hoping something changes. Prayer is us speaking to the living God, the one true God. It's not a mantra. It's not about what we say, so therefore something will happen. But it's us speaking to God and a God, the God, who invites us to ask of him, to petition him, to speak to him, and to communicate with him. He invites us to be involved with him in transforming lives, situations, nations, altering outcomes. Why? Because God is the one who moves. And he calls us and invites us to partner with him in prayer. Prayer has an impact not because of who we are, not because you pray certain words, but prayer has an impact because of the one to whom we pray. See, sometimes we can be so caught up in thinking, well, if I pray this way, or am I praying right? How do I, must I pray? Pray. It's because it's not in your prayers that has power. It's the one that you're praying to. It's not even your faith. It's the faith in the one in whom you have faith. All the way through scripture and through church history, we see when people pray, things happen. All the way through, either individuals got uh, prayed, corporately they prayed. We see it in church history, we see it in our own lives. We see that, like example, in, in, in Acts where Peter was in prison, it says, but the church prayed. They prayed and there was this miraculous uh, happening where an angel came to the prison and helped him out. And, and uh, incredible. There's power in prayer, but the power is not in the words we say, but the one to whom we pray. The God that we pray to. And so, what has this got to do with how I started off by speaking about politics? Well, you see, God says here, through Paul to us, is pray for those in authority. Pray for those in leadership, those who are kings and authority, that we would live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. Our praying is what our responsibility is. Yes, I think we should vote and all of those things. And I suppose if you're saying, well, some people do political things where they have placards and everything else and there might be some change, but when we understand that God is the one who changes the heart of man, not man, 
And the future and the salvation of the world is not in the hands of leaders or politicians or governments, but in the hand of God. Then we understand our role as believers above everything else is to pray for those in authority. Pray for those in leadership. Pray for the governments. I think nowhere in my life, no time in my life has it ever been more urgent that we pray for the governments around the world. So all crazy things are happening. People are saying all sorts of stuff. There's some, some outrageous, there are wars and all sorts of stuff. And our responsibility, first and foremost, is to pray. Because we do not look to man to bring salvation. We do not look to man to bring the solutions, but we look to God. And who is the one that changes the heart of man? God and God alone. And too often we, I, I find people uh, complaining about governments, complaining about authorities. Can I ask you a question? It's a rhetorical question, so please don't answer. If you're, you have a propensity to complain about the government... Can I ask you honestly to see how often you pray for the government? Your attitude towards the government, does it it reflect that which Paul is saying here, which is pray, petition, thanksgiving, requests? If you had to meet or, 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 or work out how often you complain compared to how often you pray. Because if there's less prayer... No wonder you're complaining. Because God's the one who changes the heart of man. And here, Paul doesn't say, pray for the, those in leadership and kings and those in authority if they're good. Or if they are reasonable. Or if you agree with them. He's saying pray for them because their decisions impact you. And if we realize, remember, it's Nero that was the one who is an authority there. Nero, one of the worst, most violent leaders of the Roman Empire, who delighted in killing Christians, would do it for sport and entertainment. And Paul doesn't feel he has to rant and rave against the politicians or the systems. He doesn't even complain about them. But he says, pray for them. And he's not saying pray for them that God would strike them down. He's saying pray for them. And, and, and he lists, he says that you would make, what was it, prayers, petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. All for those in authority. Thanksgiving. In other words, thanking God. How, how, how could you thank God for a ruler like Nero? Because you know what? Even in the midst of all of that stuff, all of what the Romans did, Paul could also see that what they did meant that the gospel could go further than it had ever been before. So thanksgiving. In the situations that we find ourselves in, God, what can I thank you for about the nation, about the nations? When I view it with you as in control and your kingdom. See, we pray for their salvation. Definitely. I think we need to pray for every leader, every ruler, every authority. Pray for their salvation because the, the only way it's going to change is if they get saved. Or unless God works through them in some incredible way. But God is the one who changes them, not us. 
Paul had every, in, in humanistically thinking, every right to complain and tell them how bad or whatever it is, but he doesn't. He says, pray for them. Pray for them. Our responsibility is pray for them. Pray for them. So we too are urged to pray for those in authority. No matter whether you like them or not. Whether you agree with them or not. Those in authority, we need to pray for. Those in government, we need to pray for. Petitions, requests, asking specifics. General communication with God. Intercession means we stand in the gap on behalf of. In other words, we cry out for them and their salvation. We cry out for the nation. We cry out for nations. Things that we do in the physical have limited effect. But prayer has lasting effect and eternal consequences. He says, pray for them that you would live peaceful, godly, and holy lives. In the midst of all of that, that it's important how we speak and pray of government so that we would live in peaceful and godly lives. Like I said, we don't trust them for the solutions. We trust God. We pray and we ask God for salvation, for the leaders. We pray and ask God to break through. We pray for righteousness, for justice, for all of those things. But our focus isn't to argue about or petition about our focus is to go before God go before God because he's the one who changes the hearts of man if we want to see God's kingdom come and change we need to be praying we need to be praying. We need to be those who crowd to God personally, corporately, often as a church. When we have prayer meetings, we pray for the governments and those in authority. Why? Because we're told to. In actual fact, he says, pray for those in authority and the kings and the rulers. This pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord. In other words, if our posture is one of praying for and interceding for and, uh, and, and lifting the government before God, that pleases God. If you want to live to please God, there's one thing you can do amongst all the others that pleases Him. Let's pray for those in authority. That's what He says. God is the one who brings change. Yes, we do need Christians who are in places of authority. Yes, we do need Christians who are in Parliament, and there are those. We need believers who are in influential realms where laws are made and all sorts of things. And, and if, I think the Christian Institute have a, have a group in our parliament who, who keep the believers up to date with what's going on so that we can pray. Because it's God in whom we trust. So stop complaining and start praying. That's what Paul's saying. Don't get caught up in all the other stuff, but Pray. One of my daughters lives in Edinburgh, and you just got to walk around Edinburgh, and it, politics is everywhere. You think it's bad here, just go there. And every shop, street corner, someone's got a different opinion, and the next one contradicts the last one, and it's just madness. But pray. Pray. So we as believers live in a world that is full of chaos 
and uncertainty. But we called to go to the one who is steadfast and certain. We called to go to the one who never changes, who is in control, who loves us, to whom we belong, the Prince of Peace, the one true God who rules and reigns above it all. We sang it this morning. If you sang that, I hope you believe that. Otherwise, sing it until you do believe it. I don't know. But he reigns above everything. So that's in the bigger picture of community and nation. But Paul says, pray for those in authority, for rulers and for kings. Which means, really, anybody who is in authority. For all peoples. So if I can take it a little bit more personal. That means... Pray for your boss, your teacher, your parents, your manager, the CEO, whatever it is. I know that in office spaces, gossip about the bosses happens. We called to pray for those in authority, which includes your boss. Or your manager. Again, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to think that the way they do stuff's right. They don't have to be nice. They're in authority. Pray for them. Because if you pray for them, God can move. And then it'll go better for you. If we walk in with integrity and we walk justly and with righteousness then we understand that whoever it is, whether it be teachers, bosses, managers, parents, whoever is in authority, leaders, whatever it is, it pleases God when we pray for them. So you might not be one who complains about the government, but you might be one who complains about your manager. It's the same truth. God is the one who changes the hearts of man. Pray for them, because that pleases God. The other thing is also that we are ambassadors for Christ. In other words, we represent him where we are. So in those contexts, how are we representing him? Because his desire is that everybody would come to salvation, and he uses us. The flip side of those is also this, is that maybe you are the boss. Maybe you are the top of the company or whatever it is. Still answerable to God. Therefore pray for those that work for you. It's not just a one way. It's both. Just as in leadership, our role is to pray for those that God brings to the church. In the same way, if you're in business and you, you, you are a manager or the director or you own the company, pray for those that God's given you. Reflect godly values and how you operate and how you manage, how you speak. Because everybody is under authority, ultimately his authority. And so we have a responsibility to pray for those in authority over us, but I also think we believe that we have the responsibility to pray for those for whom we have 
over whom we have authority. And God's plan is that all would come to salvation. And if you are one who sets the tone as a, as a manager, a governor, or a ruler, or a boss, or whatever it is, then ask God to help you to set the tone of the environment that those who work with or for you come into so that they will ask and see and turn to God. You see, Paul's challenge for the Ephesian church is don't get caught up in all the things of the world, regardless of who it is. That's how it is. People are in authority and people are leaders and people are governments and local and everything else. Our role is to pray for them because we in, in working with God to bring a change. Make sense? Not always that easy, I know that. Then Paul goes on to remind us of this fundamental and incredible truth. He goes on to say, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed as, uh, to a proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, the true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Just a reminder, with the, even with the backdrop of the Romans and everything else, the Roman emperors saw themselves as God, saw themselves as, uh, as those mediators, but they also had heralds which would go and declare all these things. Now, the, the, the picture that Paul's using here, instead of having a go and saying, well, the Romans are wrong, for them to think of this and to think themselves, that's a blasphemy and everything else. He didn't spend time attacking, but rather spoke the truth. He gave the, himself to preaching what is correct and what is true, rather than attacking what is false. And too often, too often, believers are known more for what they're against than what they're for. Most people, if you ask them, what does, what does, because they view it in that way, what does the church stand on X, Y, or Z? They'll tell you what they're against. They won't tell you what they believe. And Paul's saying, he, he doesn't choose to attack the politicians and say their understanding of themselves of, as gods is wrong. He says there's one God, one mediator. In other words, in saying, in declaring the truth, he's dealing with the error. See what I'm saying? So, but his focus isn't on the error. In declaring there is one God, what he's saying is, Nero, you're not God. And there is one mediator, Nero, you're not the mediator. That's Jesus. But you see, our lives should be spent, and then he says that for this purpose of, of declaring the truth of the gospel, he's been made a herald. So these emperors had these people. When a new emperor came into power, a herald was sent to every village town as far as the empire was to declare what had just happened. As soon as they have a victory, goes and does that. And that's what their purpose was. They would not stop until that had been declared to everybody in the same way he's saying, that's my role. There's one God. One mediator, Jesus, and I'm the herald to go and tell everybody, and it's the same for you and I. You see, occasionally, when it's on, I don't know everyone that's on really, but there's a TV program called Fake or Fortune. Have you ever seen that? No, it tells you what I'm interested in. It's a, it's a program with Fiona Bruce, and I think his name's Philip, uh, Philip Mould, who, who look at artworks and that come up uh, through, I don't know, people's lofts and everything else, and they have to determine whether these are real 
and therefore cost a fortune, or if they're just fakes. And, and if, if you're doing something like that, or studying those things, what they do is they make those studying those art history and those things for, 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 for those um, kind of purposes. They spend years looking at the work of the masters, of the authentic. So that by looking at them and studying them, they know every brush stroke of the master. They know how the nuances of the color and the palette that was used and everything else. And so they know everything about those people. So that if something else comes up, in an instant they can recognize that's not the hand of the master. That's not the brush stroke of the creator. They don't spend their time studying fakes. They spend their time studying the real. So that as a fake comes, they can recognize it instantly. And it's the same everywhere. People, in, when they were being, I don't know how they do it now because money's so different, but way back they used to, bank tellers and all of those guys who deal with money in their training had to feel money, real money. Not fake money, real money. So that when a counterfeit comes, it feels different. The same in grading diamonds work the same way. The blue diamond is a perfect one. Why? Because the same is true for us. If we spend all our energy and life declaring and attacking what is not right, the enemy will send so many things that you will be consumed by correcting and speaking against. But if we know what the truth is and we spend our life looking at the master's handprint, at the master's brush strokes, as it were, as, as to his work, then when something comes up that is false, we recognize it immediately. But our focus always needs to be on him and the truth. See how it's incredibly important that we understand. So, so, so Paul here writes to them, instead of arguing with the politicians, pray for them. Why? Because you're going before God. Instead of spending our time attacking what's wrong and what's be known for what is right. We, we know someone who used to lead a church ages ago somewhere else in the country. And that church in the form it was in doesn't exist anymore. But they're, they're, the thing that always used to pay me was their, their information leaflet. For visitors to the church, you could tell more what they were against than what they stood for. But too often that same is true for us. If we spend our lives shouting about what's wrong, how's anybody going to know what is right? And we're called to preach the gospel, to declare the truth of God's word. We're not called to, to point out all the wrong. Declare who he is. Lift his name up. Because when we lift his name up, men will be drawn to him. When we, ex- when we show who he is, then they'll see what's wrong. So Paul here at the, at this, in this part of the letter is saying, pray for those in authority. And if we read how he, how he speaks about the, the incredible message that he's been entrusted with, which is the same message that, that you and I have been entrusted with, with, which is that there is one God and only one God. And there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. And that same plan of redemption and sanctification and, uh, and everything else is, is the good news of the gospel. That it is by grace and not by works that people are saved. That as they come to understand who he is, then we understand that Jesus took on himself all our sin, 
all our shame, of all humanity, so that as, as humans, as we respond to him, we can then take on to ourselves his righteousness and justice through his blood. Folks, the world and society around knows what's wrong. They just don't know who's right. They know that how they live is just based on what they believe. And yet we, who have encountered God and have a hope and a future and peace in the midst of all the chaos, we can walk with surety and certainty and peace and be anchored in Him. Surely we should take on what Paul sees as his role, which is basically what the Great Commission is which is going to make disciples of all nations. And uh, when Jesus said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come on you and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth because God's desire is that all mankind would turn to him. And we, you and I, if we have a relationship with God, if we submit to him, we have that same role. We are heralds of the same message that Paul is. And that's what everybody needs to hear. That in God, through Jesus, there's life and hope, salvation and forgiveness. We are the heralds for the king. Just as Paul could say, there's one God, there's one mediator, and I'm a herald. And they understood exactly what he meant. In the same way for us, there's one king, one Lord. And we are the messengers. A weak parallel would be an influencer. I don't quite understand what those people do, but the, the title kind of shows something of they influence others. But it's like we need to point to Jesus, point to God. That makes sense? So this morning as we end, remember, you don't have to agree with those in government or authority, but you need to pray for them. With thanksgiving, petitions, intercessions, for those in leadership, your boss, your managers, if you're the boss, those you, you, you lead, in every sphere of every part of our life, what pleases God is that we pray for those in authority. Why? Because their decisions impact us. And sometimes those decisions might not be what we think, but remember this. God always answers. God is always listening. And when we pray and petition Him, He moves. And He always answers perfectly in the right time with the right answer for His plan. Not our comfort or our wish, but His plan. And when we realize that, then actually whatever goes on, we know that God's with us. And whatever we face, he'll enable us to face it with a faith that is in him, unshaken. What pleases God is that we pray for those in authority, governments, local, national, international, work, leaders, church, everybody. Pray for those in authority because it's God who changes the heart of man. And remember that the message of the gospel and what we stand for, 
we need to declare. We need to preach. We need to live. We need to uh, tell others about. We need to demonstrate so that people know the good news. Not what we stand against, but what we stand for. I'd much rather be known as one who, uh, that people would know me for what I stand for and whom I stand for than what we stand against. Because really, if we focus on what we call to and what God's created and what we stand for, it really doesn't... uh, Maybe I shouldn't say it, but those other things that we're against, we're always going to be against because they're against God. It's not personal. And and really, like I said last week, we can't judge those who don't know Him because they're just living out of what they believe and they don't believe in Him. And we aliens and foreigners in this world, that's what God says. We're in the world, but not of the world. Why? Because we have one king, one lord, one mediator, one message. Let's spend our time declaring that rather than attacking everything else and trusting in the one who can change everything. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we have a relationship with you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you that we can come freely before you and that you invite us to speak with you, to pray, to petition you. God, I thank you that it is, it is you to whom we pray and that you are the one who changes and moves and it can change the hearts of man and situations and, and outcomes and of nations as well as moments in, life, in our lives. God, I ask that by your spirit you remind each one of us of your awesome authority and power that we do not have to worry about everything we just need to come to you forgive us Lord where we have criticized or pointed fingers or pulled down those in authority whether it be in families workplaces or nations and help us to just to bring people before you in prayer petition thanksgiving, intercession. And God, I pray that each one of us in an ever-increasing measure would understand the incredible message that you've entrusted to us and that we would be effective heralds of the gospel so that you are exalted, men and women are saved, lives are transformed, And that you are made great above all else. Because you, God, reign above all. In you we fix our faith, our hope, our security. Because you are God and are unchanging, are all loving, are righteous and just and are in control. And God, we trust you. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. There's team coffee next door and also at the back. And if you can stay, there's bring and share lunch today. If you want to join us for that, that'll be really good.